Blog Talk Radio. Okay, to cover up with a screw-up, a.k.a. maybe the producer forgot to put the opening in. Well, I didn't put it in on purpose. That's what it says on paper. <laughs> because this is a pretty long we're doing tonight. Welcome back. We're still. I'm still loopy from the New Year's vacation. Too much partying. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Yeah. And with me tonight, as usual, on the first Sunday of every month is Mike House. So uh, say hello, Mike. Hello. Glad to be here, as always. Yeah. This is uh, the movie we're doing tonight, 67's Day of Anger. This is Torino's first film, isn't it? Um, yes, his first directing. No, um, damn, hold on. <laughs> um, no, it was the Lanky Fellow, the... Um, uh, a taste, taste of Killing was his first film. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was '66, but it was his. Yeah. yeah, it was his first directorial credit. And I think he only ended up with, if I'm not mistaken, 14 total. So, but. Yeah, four spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Three of the exact same tone of this one, and one which we'll get into into was a little bit. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Actually, he did five spaghettis. Oh, well, still he did that's Taste of Killing, one. Day of Anger, The Price of yeah. Power, a bullet, for, also known as um, a bullet for the general, for the president, a reason yeah. to live, a reason to die, and my name is nobody. Yeah, and like I said, one of those fits, and we'll get into it when the movie starts. Into one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> One of these things. Just God, I ain't heard that in forever. Oh, wow. yeah. Sesame Street, Sesame Street, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we, this one, sadly, is out on a great edition on Arrow Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But you still don't see many Spaghetti Western fanatics talk about it. They'll jump well, up their own ass to buy the 50 millionth re-release of the Leone film. Right, right, wow. When it That's comes something to something like I, this, they won't, wow. you know, eh. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know what, honestly, this film, you know, is a lot like, you know, the, the Leone films. I mean, it borrows a lot from them. Yeah. So I mean I don't know why people aren't more enamored with it. I think it's it's got a good reputation, but you know it's you're right. Unless it says Leone on it, everything else is second fiddle to a point. You know Corbucci's close, but yeah, everybody else is kind of uh, relegated to you know lower uh, categories. Well, look, we've only got the mercenary over here in America. Didn't that just come out last year on Blu-ray? Yeah, it did. Yes, that was. Kino, I believe. Bare Bones, too, I believe. Yeah, Bare Bones. Yeah, but Bare Bones, but that's still the first official release of it, period. No VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, I, I think what happens with a lot of those is, you know, the rights are so freaking screwy because there's so yeah. many people, you know, involved usually with these co-production deals. You know, you don't know who's you know who's holding it and who's not holding it. I mean, yeah, you don't know which, which way is up. Yeah, a fact. I wish someone would get the rights to God's gun and not put it out anymore. 
That is <laughs> a truer statement was never said. I'm telling you, so that how many times was that released on VHS? Would you say? I and don't DVD. Know. Wow. I, I can't think of a spaghetti western DVD that's not on a 20 film collection that doesn't have <laughs> yes God's gun on it. Oh, and it and it's it's dreadful too. It really is, and and so is that uh, the kid vengeance too. The one with the um, what was that little pugnacious kid's name? I forget what his name was. Lee Erickson, is that right? Was that the dude? No, that's yeah. somebody else. Yeah, right. No, I agree with you on that. It, it's hard to watch Van Cleef at that time of you know a spaghetti career. It was awful. Yeah, that's back when they were just like, we got Van Cleef. We don't need a fucking script. That ain't that really. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, let's just. And, and you know, he looked, yeah, he was a, a huge box office in Europe. You know, and he, he would, his films get, would get released over here, so it kind of helped. Yeah, you know, I the mean, producers. I can't. You, you know what? Van Cleef said, was a Western that didn't get released over here. Yeah, and it, what saddened me about this is the fact that, you, you know, you catered to see him go from something like this and what, and what it was, seven years, eight years later, nine years later, he's he's in that, in that kind of garbage, and he looks like hell in it, you know, so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's something that I'm sure on his resume is a black eye to a point, because they're awful films, you know, his last couple. Take a Hard Ride's not bad. You know, it's aided by, I think it was built, filmed on an island, which I can't remember which one it is, but it gives it kind of gives it a different, you know, look and feel to it, but still. You there, Stephen? I think we lost Stephen for a moment here. Well, we'll just um, wait till he resurfaces here. Um, this day of anger, we're watching. It's the Arrow release. It is, I believe, one hour and fifty-one minutes. This is the. Yeah. If you have the, you there? Yeah, and if you got the YouTube okay. link that I put on Facebook, it is the one hour and fifty-one minute cut. Right. Yes. But always when it came out over here in the U.S., well, we'll talk about it a little more once we get it started. We need to get it started. Yeah, we better get going or we're not. So I've got it. We've got it right at the where uh, Gemma's face first shows up. And we're ready to start in five, four, three, two, one, go. There we go. And a great score by Ritz Ortolani. Absolutely. It's a terrific score. Well, if you watch any Tarantino films, he loves this song. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth? And it is a classic song. I mean, it's it's got that jarring guitar to it. And and Riz was had that kind of, you know, that a lot of his had a lot of, you know, uh, jazziness in them. They, they didn't 
you know, stay the standard spaghetti western score. They kind of, you know, varied a little bit, which gave his, you know, a lot of his composing and his scores a little bit of variety as opposed to just, you know, a, a standard fare, let's say, that kind of went with yeah. these films, which made a lot of these films great. But it's also nice, you know, when you have some variations. So, yeah, definitely. And, and the this Italian the, title, which showed up, it means the Days of Wrath. And this right, was supposedly right, yeah. based on a book called, I forget, something like High Noon at Oak Town, but the writer and the yeah, director said they didn't base it on it. Yeah, they there just said it. There is a Yeah, they're Todd yeah. yeah, they um it was they it was a, pr- a co-production deal. And with the German the German fraction of that, they wanted this based on a book so you know, they could sell it there as based on this book and that's why and um Tonino only used you know very, you know, a little maybe a passage midway through the film, you know, mm-hmm. just to kind of tie it in with that, but yeah, that was no. It was Something that was used just as a as a co-production type thing. Yeah. And this movie really does a big riff on for a few dollars more. It even has, uh, as you'll see, Van Cleef smoking the same kind of pipe that he smokes in for a few dollars more. True. Everything else he toned down. The you know the hat and the the the, the holster. But yeah, that that pipe was still there. Yeah. Antonio Valeri himself, because his most beloved film is a film that people say, "Motherfucker, you didn't direct this." <laughs> and I do have to say, if you really look at the tone and the look of this film and compare it to "My Name Is Nobody," "My Name Is Nobody" sticks out like a sore, sore thumb. Yeah. I mean, look at the opening. You got your hero as a shit boy. Yeah, and, and you know, this opening, the way it rolls down into town, this is an opening Dolly scene. I mean, you know, he had been a, um, he had been a, a Valeria had been a, um, um, an assistant director on uh, the first two Leone films. And obviously he, he learned a lot from him, as you can, as you mm-hmm. can see. Um, his first film, A Taste of Killing, is, is a great film, you know. It's maybe too by the books, but boy, it's a violent film. I mean, it's an excellent film. Maybe in my book, it's uh, Craig Hill, you know, an American actor who went over there when his career was drying up after television. You know, he um, it was his best role in my book. You know, I want him dead was another very good one for Hill, but. Definitely, you know, and it was also Hill's first Italian Western. And I've read reviews of this that says there's not much humor in this movie. Oh, horseshit! You got the town drunk sitting in front of a gigantic pile of bottles. (laughs) Right. And that line, get that barrel out of my nose, it stinks there. And you say, wow, this just comes from the fine people, fine respectful people of Clifton. (laughs) And, And you know what? Originally, the, the director had wanted Lou Castile to play this part of Gemma. Now, if you think about that, now Lou Castile—I'm not saying Gemma is fantastic in this film, 
but Lou Castile could have really added another element, I think. Could have, you know, I mean, could have, I guess, made the film better, could have hurt the film, but it's definitely something to think about. That was their original yeah. intention, was was to have Castile in it, and the directors at least, because he had just made a movie called Fist in the Pocket, which kind of had him, you know, as an angry kind of youth, and they thought that would transfer well over into this film, because he was a hot property at the time, but they knew with Gimma that they had a, um, a um, you know, it, they would have good box office with Gimma. That's why he was yeah, involved. Yeah, plus he plays it awesome. He's supposed to be an innocent right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like with the barrel. He's been in this shitty town with shitty people so long that his nose has become inured to the scent. Right. Because everyone in this whole town, except for maybe the drunk and his uh, friend, right there, his friend, the bald guy. Mm-hmm. Are just utter fucking scumbags. <laughs> they are. They are. And, and, you, and if you look, I mean, there's the white. And if you look at this town, you see the white picket fence. You know, you think that, you know, this is a nice little peaceful town. And then on the outside, it is. It's a very quiet looking town. I mean, if you look at it, there's nothing going on. The sheriff doesn't even carry a gun. You know, so, I mean, it's. He, he's trying to portray it as a as a um, wholesome type of town. And obviously we see as the film goes on that it's not quite so, that easy. Yeah. But unlike most movies where they would have, like, the dark side of the town hidden, mm-hmm. he just shows it out within the first five minutes. Yeah, and, and you know, for this was Christmas 67, I mean, you didn't see a lot of these towns. You know, most of the yeah. towns, you know, the citizens were, you know, yeah, you might have had one bad fraction, but you didn't have a lot of, you know, the whole town was essentially rotten. And they are. I guess yeah. you could say that, you know, Django Kill, the whole town was rotten. But, <laughs> you know, this definitely had a town full of rotten people. I mean, and if you if you look at this for a second film of a director, how I mean, how beautifully it's filmed. You know, the the the, uh, the camera work. I mean, you know, you can obviously say that you know the man was a master after two films. I mean, this is a absolutely stunning film. Yeah, it's a gorgeous film. It is. Like I said. I'm not, I'm surprised this isn't higher ranked among the spaghettis. Yeah, you you know, yeah, it's, it, you're right. It, it I mean it gets it's it's up there, but you know probably if you ask somebody to name top ten, top five, I don't know how many of them would put it in their top ten. Well, you know they'd be whipping out uh, oh, all Leone, yeah. maybe Django. Nowadays, yeah. maybe uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and uh, even vaguely uh, The Great Silence. Right. Yeah, and, that, and that, a lot of that's because of, you know, wh- you know, where it's at now, how it's been pushed, you know what I'm saying? You know, the Tarantinos well, the and the people like, like that. Like, man, you got to see Once Upon a Time in the West, man. You got to see it. It's so good. 
And that was our big mistake. We pushed the film over the genre. Yes, yes, very true, yes. Yeah, and, and, and you know, if, if you... If you look, I mean, if if you look and do any, you know, the first early films of the first two films of Leone, the three, yeah, the first two films. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody who's anybody is has laid some kind of claim. Not all of them, but there's a lot of people who've tried to lay claim like, I did this, I did that, you know, because those two films. You know, and then the third film, but really the first two were so important to the genre that everybody, you know, wanted to be tied in with that greatness. And it's and it's odd how it's became that way. I mean, you know, now there's no way we're ever going to know the truth about you know how it all unraveled. It will never come out because it's been told by so many different people so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean. Get a straight answer, and I love no. them out of an Italian spaghetti western director. Mm-hmm. Right, right. There's, like, you know, and there's uh, Lam- I got. Go ahead. And there's Lee Van Cleef, obviously. And if you kind of think about this, he hadn't, you know, here he comes riding into the town, and he's actually a villainous character, which was something he hadn't played in Europe, you know, because he had came over and did the. Um, the first Leone film, but um, you know, it was kind of harkens back to his days of being a, a villain, you know, kind of riding into the town like in High Noon and stuff like that, you know, where he had played villains in numerous, numerous films. Yeah, to me, that's why they had to make the town's evil so obvious that when Talby comes in and screws stuff up, we're rooting for Talby. Until the worm right. turns. Yeah, we are. You're right. And, and it and it's and it's that same way. And, and you know, you got to take it. Took a lot of a lot from Death Rides a Horse, also, which was released, you know, a couple months earlier in '67. Yeah. And um, you, you know, it takes a lot from that too. Obviously, the the younger, older component there. But it's and this um, has not been know, a hard film to see. I have can remember every time I went in the video store in the 80s seeing that iconic poster of Lee Van Cleef with the two guns, with the one gun in one hand and a shotgun in the other. Right. I don't know why I never rented it, but I know Day of Anger was always there. I know. it. it I think Originally, I think it came, it may be not originally, but I know it came out as Days of Wrath. You know, I think Image yeah, or one of them. I think it was the, called Image, maybe. Label. And I think it was only eighty. The Days of Wrath trailer. Yeah, and I think it's only eighty-five minutes. It was only eighty-five minutes? Obviously, a lot was cut. You know, scenes like the, you know, when Scott takes that, bru- you know, pretty brutal beating and some of the other things. Yeah. The thing was, is when the most of the distributors who bought these were drive-ins. And forty and and exploitation slash grindhouse theater sell right. So they would buy here, yeah. films like these by the dozens or six, and then cut them down to the shortest lengths they could, 
while the movie still makes sense and still be able to put them on double bills. There you go, yeah. Even the longest U.S. cut of this is missing like 22 minutes of footage. Yeah, it was cut. They were cut. Yeah, absolutely. And then originally, I think it was cut in Italy of maybe three or four minutes because it had, had, I think it was a cut for violence and stuff like that and maybe some cursing. And I think they went in, the the producers, I think it was only uh, children above 14. And then I think that um, they went, the producers went and cut in maybe four minutes or something and eventually got an all you know, access, I mean, I, um, yeah. you know, for all people of all ages. Because this and is I, really here, important. I think it, it was, it was released here in 70. Westerns. Yeah, and, and it got a release here in 70, and I, I've read somewhere, I think it, if I'm not mistaken, it made maybe two to three million here. And, you know, it, it did, I think it was the second highest grossing um, film in Italy in 67 after um, God Forgives I Don't, which starred the obnoxious Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer. <laughs> I tried watching that movie because it was mentioned in uh, Machete. It's yeah. a monster. You it's can't tough, put yeah. Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer in a serious role. You, you know, the, it's tough. But the, the thing that saves that movie in my book, I mean, it has, a, you know, Frank Wolf was great. And it has one of his kind of neurotic kind of, you know, over-the-top roles. So, so yeah. <laughs> How this funny was, is it when we first start watching uh, Spaghetti Westerns, we're all like, Leone, Leone, Leone. Ooh. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The, let's see, Van Cleef, Eastwood, Wallach. Yeah. And then as we start more, we're like, Ooh, Milan, Milan, Milan. Nero, yeah. Nero, Nero. And then if we stay I, with I, him and start loving it, we're like, Frank Wolf, Frank Wolf, Frank Wolf. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, I mean, let's face it, how many times did the three Leone films run on, the three first Leone films run on tele, on cable back in the 80s and 90s. God, I've I seen mean, like Good, Bad, and Ugly maybe once a year. And that yeah, was it, it, ran, it ran a lot on either TNT or TBS, one of the two, between the two of them, because yeah. I know I used to watch little bits of pieces of it. was one of Turner's uh, favorite films, but I'm talking before cable, it usually... My local Channel 6 would run The Good, right. The Bad, and The Ugly maybe once a year. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it on te- television that way also. Yeah. And I never knew they were Italian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because yeah, the you know, I had had the U.S. director titles. Yeah, and it was Western wasn't Western back then. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You weren't, there wasn't none of that. You know, at least when you're an adolescent, you know, there wasn't anything like, you know, I'm I'm worried about, the, you know, this guy because it's Italian or blah, 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 whatever, you know, so. I mean, really, that's, it was the, this, and get basically looking for more films starring those guys that really opened my mind up like, uh. Eli Wallach, Aces High, that was another one that was easy to find on VHS. 
right? Yeah, yeah. It was. And some of the Gamma and early this ones. One too, like, which, like I said, I don't know why I never freaking seen it. I don't know why. <laughs> like I said, I had, you know, I used to be one of them people that went everywhere looking for, you know, VHS. Yeah, I was I one traveled. of those people that went everywhere. But yeah. I think it's just because this came out on some of the cheapest of the cheapest labels. True, true. You learn quickly to stay away from them because they look like crap. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's something I've, I've always said. I mean, is if if you look at some of the like uh, the foreign overseas VHS covers for spaghetti westerns, oh my God, they're beautiful. You get this yeah. shit over here, and the majority of them are shit. You know, I mean, if you think about it, fistful of lead, compañeros, um, they're they're ugly. You know, and that was the thing. I mean, the gun law. I think didn't this film was also released as gun law. Yeah. That's Romano Papi, who would he was also um, Van Cleef's double. Yeah. Hey. Princess. I mean, look at this. Scene right here. What's he give what's Talby given to him? Just basic human freaking dignity. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and that's kind of what is it's it's one of them films that are you, you know, you the end uh, you know, it was like almost like Death Rides a Horse. You know, the ending you wanted the ending then like it did. Now, in this film's different. You know, it's the same thing again, to a point. But the problem with Talby was, obviously, we'll get to it, but he's went from, you know, he's taken this stuff to the extreme. Yeah. I love that. You'll tell him, you know, da-da-da. He's a son of a bitch, but he's a legal son of a bitch. Yeah, and he know yeah. And you'll find that as the film goes on, one thing he realizes he's smart enough to realize, yeah, you know, the gun's important, but you gotta stay within the, the law. Yeah. Now, this is one of the scenes that they cut out of the US version. Yeah, right. Because they figured plot doesn't matter. Let's just give them 90 minutes of action, action, action. Yeah. I mean, this is just a start and really showing you how he outsmarted the town, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was always hard finding uncut versions. I mean. Oh, that was impossible back in the day, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like uh, the big cunt gun down. Right, You've yeah. You've seen how the difference between when we watch it, the 
short version and a long version into making uh, you know how they could remake it nowadays and it would have given it a little bit of a nastier touch Make Jimma's character black. Or would that be too on the nose for the thing they're trying to teach about him? Yeah. You know, if you watched his next film, um, A Bullet for the President, I mean, there's a lot of racism in that film. Yeah, he made, Torino just seems like he made really political films. (laughs) He definitely definitely was one of the... Left leaning, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh yeah, he definitely had a left leaning for sure. And you know, I do love that they don't even say why he's so hated by the town. They hint at it, but they never do state it. Right. Right. And the fact that he's a bastard. <laughs> yeah. Or as they say it. A bastard in a town of bastards. Ain't that ironic? Isn't that a fact? I forget who said it, but someone said, you cannot have a society until you have someone there that you can feel better about yourself <laughs> by looking at. Right. And there you go. There's the one right there. Scott Mag. Oh, that is a beautiful shot. The Leone shot. Yes. I say that half joking, but yeah, that's the Leone shot. Yeah, he definitely learned with the master. Well, Torino was uh, Leone's photographer. Yeah, he was assistant director on on the first two films, and it was actually uh, Leone who suggested. Uh, Tonino for um, the taste uh, taste for killing, lanky fellow, taste for killing. I get them. Yeah. Well, for my name is nobody. The story goes is like uh, they wanted him to do it, and Henry Fonda wanted Leon to do it, and he's like, "No, I'm not directing a film until I do America." So he calls up Tonino. Hey, Tonino, you want to do a film? It's got Henry Fonda and Terrence Hill in it. Okay. Right. And that was Leone's way of the point also to, you know, they Leone hated the um, the comedy westerns. He thought, you know, like a lot of people that it, you know, that it gave the the, the genre a black eye. And that yeah. was his way of, you know, of. of Going against the grain a little bit by coming kind of it's kind of a comical type film, but it was his way of you, you know kind of saying you know here's how you do this you know. And did you hear what his horse's name was? And what? Sartana. Right. Yeah. I wonder if that was intentional. I think that that predates all the Sartanas, doesn't it? I don't know. I, think I forget it does. what year uh, I think the, the first original, original might have been. one comes out that they didn't put on the freaking Arrow box set. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been eh, 60s, 
seven two, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know the one where uh, Sar- Garco right. Sartana yeah. was the bad guy who ends up killed at the end of the film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Blood at sundown. <laughs> yeah. Which started yeah, the great pretty- Italian traditions is if you've got a great character and he gets killed, fuck it, just bring him back for another movie. <laughs> Uh, I think that was 65, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I could. It was 65, yeah, I think. I love the look of pity in Talbot's eyes. Not that he wants to be like him or how powerful he is. He's like, I want to be like you. And he's like, you poor son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Never trust anybody. Well, he takes a beating, don't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, second lesson never trust anyone. That's right. The um, film, um, I think it's Fury of Johnny Kidd used a similar type of, you know, where he counted off the, um, the, you know, the kind of the commandments. Yeah. And also the, um, there's a lot of the, uh, uh, good to bad, the ugly, or I'm sorry, I mean, for a few dollars more started the kinds of the young, old component, you know, and it added, so, and then, and, you know, you had, like I said, obviously, Death Rides a Horse, Banditos, for a few dollars more was the one I meant, instead of the Fury of Johnny the Kid, Django the yeah. Last Killer, Sheriff with the Gold and a Gun for a Hundred Graves, where they kind of used the, you know, the old young component, you know, regardless of how yeah. they turned out. Well, and I think like Django, I said, the, I got Django the, the Last... Tough ones. And he said, "How do you dis-? and uh, Lindsay said, "How do you describe the Italian uh, genre film community?" He's like, "I make a film. I have three good ideas for it, and then within four, six weeks of mine, nine people take the three good ideas I have and make movies out of that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately what killed it too. Yeah, and if you listen to you know a lot of people say you know a lot of you know, um, uh, Dick Palmer, you know, he was friends with Leone, and he said that he came up with the ideal for uh, you know, Ramon Rojo, you know, Rojo being, you know, kind of had to have the, the rifle fetish and a few other ideals. But, you know, when it was, you know, he, once those ideals were, you know, and it was on screen, he was never getting given credit for it. So there's a lot of that goes on. You know, obviously... Yeah. Leone and the producers didn't want to give Kurosawa credit, and it, you know it came back and you know shot him in the foot to a point. But you know it was all about grabbing and you know and then trying to get letting nobody else you know involved in it. Do you remember what Kurosawa said to Leone when Leone apologized to him for that? Oh, he was probably happy. 
<laughs> no, he said, oh, don't worry. Money. I steal from John Ford all the time myself. <laughs> Plus, he was probably happy because it probably made him a ton of money. I mean, imagine yeah, how big that was you know in like Japan. Mean. He's like, oh, don't worry. I steal from John Ford all the time. <laughs> the producers had to pay, not Leone. Leone didn't have to pay right. a cent because he didn't true, know. Yeah. That's about the only part of the story that keeps getting screwed up. Mm-hmm. And there he is. I've seen him in a lot of films. Well, I forget his name, but I've seen him in a lot. I think it's Ricardo Palacios, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a ton, he's in a ton of them, yeah. And in this scene is a one-scene cameo by one of our freaking heroes of the Spaghetti Western, well, of the Thailand genre, Right. Period. Yeah, would be dead within a year, I believe. What? Two years. Yeah, dead within a year coming up here. Yeah. <laughs> Bowie. And I love how they're copying the table scene from. Uh, Good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of got that look of, you know, the, the fistful of dollars with the bleached out white towns, and also in um, for a few dollars more. In the deer stalker pipe. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, another thing with this film is it kind of gives that it's an opidious type of thing where it's the father component you know it's like he's searching yeah. for a father he's looking for that father figure except in this and one he's, he's already got it but he doesn't realize it right and there he is the one and only Al Malik Right. It's a shame what happened to him because I could just see him just kept on going through the 70s with his uh, unique looks. He definitely had that. And there was, I mean, there was quite a few good more years of, I think he's, he's Canadian, I believe, isn't he? Or was. I think so. Yeah. Can you think of any other actors that Leone gave close-ups Two and two openings of his films. No, no. I mean, and, and the fact that he his mug got right there with um, Jackie Lom and um, Woody Strode is also so tells you something. Yeah. He aged a hell of a lot between this and Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, I think he had some. Marital problems or problems that way, maybe depression, well, obviously. Just, well, all I've heard and you know, everything is that he had difficulties. Yeah, yeah. That's all anyone was ever said. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he definitely, you know, he, he lent a lot to these films, and he definitely had a face for these films. <laughs> And he was always memorable in every freaking thing you've seen him in. Yeah. Even Solid here. Act. 
solid. Yeah. For sure. Like when he shows up in the good, the bad, and the ugly, he just like swallows the whole scene. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He was the bounty killer in that one, wasn't he? And he got shot by yeah. Van, he was the uh, one Eli Wallach. Yeah, Tuco. Yeah, if you're gonna, he if was you're the gonna one who talk. first uh, captured Tuco before uh, Angel Eyes yeah. saved him. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to talk, talk. Or if you're going to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Yeah. Well, what's funny is this is their second film together, but this is the first film they had a scene together. Right. True, yeah. Yeah, he's killed in that um, blown-out, burned-out hotel. Yeah. That's another thing we love about Spaghetti Western is just the faces and the act. Yeah. Well, that's when you realize you're hardcore is when you have a guy like Al Malik or... Frank Wolf or someone like that that you just glom on. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that all started with you know the sweaty faces with you know in the Leone films, you know the the pulled close-ups. Mm. Well, Frank Wolf has one of the most important parts in uh, Once a Time and Upon a Time in the West, and he's killed within the first two minutes of the movie, but he's the uh, driving uh, force of the movie. Yeah. Fact, you're right, and, and it just goes to show you, you know what what prestige that Leone had back then, you know, or at least bankability, because you know for Frank Wolf to show up in a film for, I mean Frank Wolf, um, Jackie Lom, Al Murlock, um, and um, um, who's yeah Woody Strode to show up and be you know and be killed within. You know, the first ten minutes of the film, that tells you something. I mean, a lot of people would have said no. Now, this scene here That's is a lot of times this, this is cut yeah, out. This the whole, this is what you get, people, if you don't drink without Malik. <laughs> and most of this was cut out of a lot of, of a lot of the scenes. I think out of the Italian version. Where it just shows him punching him and him being knocked out. Maybe it don't show yeah, the Yeah, because the original uncut version uh, is one hour and 41 minutes. Yeah, a lot of this was pretty much all this was cut out except for the punch and then him being knocked out. Yeah. It, it's like they didn't want to make, it's like they're like, they're making too much of a slamil. <laughs> You done whooped his ass enough. Damn right. 
punches like bullets. If you don't make the first one count, you're going to get you the, the person you shot at is going to come back at you. Right. I think another problem with the film, what it had with some of the cuts and stuff like that, and I know over there it had a few issues. I don't think, you know, the censors and the, the you know, the, the board that passed these films over there obviously had some issues with, you know, um, Talby's Ten Commandments, if you will. You know, obviously kind of mirrors a little bit when you're talking of Ten Commandments, obviously, because yeah. the religion in Rome and, you know, the religious, you know, the um, Vatican and stuff in Rome. Yeah. Differences in the Italian dub, it's Ten Commandments, and then uh, the English dub, as you heard, it's Ten Rules. And, you know, I think, yeah, true. That's very true. Which they could have changed easily with just dubbing that one line over. Right. I mean, it isn't like many of these were shot with sound. No, yeah, no. no. I don't believe any of them were. I mean, a few, I don't think so. I can't say obviously all of them, but yeah, a lot of them were not, no. Yeah. Which which if you think about it, I mean, it's pretty ingenious. I mean, the fact that, you know, you could film something like this and you're not going to miss, you know, somebody, you know, no, I need you to say that again. No, I need you to say that yeah. again. You know, somebody screwing up the lines, it's not going to happen. You know, they're going to say their parts and move on, even if they do screw it up, saying it's going to be dubbed anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, to a point, that's why these things could be made and be made so quickly and so cheaply. It's be, you know, well, because Cynthia of that. Well, Rothrock told the story where she was a filming Yes, Madam. Mm-hmm. In, that, in the new Kung Fu Dunkery on Netflix, she said, she said, what do I say? He, she, and they said, just say something. And we'll go along. She went. I said, "We don't know it. What do you want to do? We don't know it. But do you?" And then, she, then they said, "Perfect. That'll fit the dub we put in later." Wow. I mean, how many times? How stories have you heard about American actors being screwed up in the head? Like I forget who. They were doing a scene with Ivan Rasimov and an Italian actor, and the Italian actor was speaking Italian. Right. Rasimov yeah. was speaking Russian, and she was speaking English. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's gets quite a bit like that. That's the truth right there. Yeah. I mean, but they were. I mean, they were. It was. They were. Masters of the trade, obviously, and and you know this film. I mean, obviously, it had a nice budget, you know, a healthy budget because his first film, um, A Taste for Killing, did well at the box office. So he was allotted a nice, you know. Usually they weren't allotted that type of money in these films. Usually they're pretty cheap, you know. They don't get a lot. I mean, but one thing you do notice about this film is it was, it was. You know, it's kind of small to a point. You yeah. know, it takes place a lot in town, which was, I think, the Sincita back lot. So, there, mm-hmm. you know, it it doesn't have a lot of, 
you know, scenic type. I mean, you have this, but it wasn't a lot of, you know, stuff filmed in scenic locations. It's generally within that, you know, that back lot. So, but, yeah. I mean, it did have a, a healthy budget on it. Yeah, but don't forget 67 was at the time when they were at a prime of being a freaking machine. Everybody True. was well-oiled, beautiful. They knew how to do their parts in their sleep. Yeah. True. You had some True. of the best cameramen, the best boom guys, the best set decorators. Absolutely. Absolutely. No but doubt about up, it. How many times have you seen that Hacienda entrance in a movie? That's even <laughs> the same one that's used uh, for the final scene where we find out who Harmonica is in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. Yes. Yeah, that is correct. It is the same one. You're right. And then run, man, run. But they just added some, a few fake town things to make it into a bigger town. Right. Which I suspect they had lying around, if you know what I mean. Yes. And now we're starting to find out why Talby is in the whole town. It's like... He was involved in a bank robbery, but they screwed him. He went to jail. Right, which sounds a lot like nice guy. Yeah, and it sounds and, a lot uh, like um, Death Rides a Horse. A horse. Yeah. Except the nice guy. This guy's just a son of a bitch. Yeah. Right. But then again, it really emphasizes he's an old man more than in uh, Death Rides a Horse. Right. Yeah, he's more of a sympathetic character in that one. Yeah, there's no, there's not a bit of sympathy in this one. Well, well, there is during the part where he's up against the town. Right, yeah. Like, how do you make a son of a... Uh, the example, how do you make a son of a bitch into a likable son of a bitch? Put him up against bigger sons of bitches. <laughs> I think the director of photography, which, I mean, this is a beautiful film. I mean, was in so... Seraphine, and he also did um, followed Lee Van Cleef over to do the, his next film, The Dreadful uh, Beyond the Law. Yeah, that's one thing we have to emphasize. We love Lee Van Cleef. We love his spaghetti westerns, but good God, did he make a lot of crappy ones. Yeah, There's that's, no yeah, way you know, to savage things like uh, Beyond the Law, Dead Man's River, Captain Apache. That's, yeah, them are bad. That that beyond the laws horrible. They you know, called and, and, him Captain Apache. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you got to figure after, <laughs> after this film. You know, he had the two Sabatas, which are great films, and and the and the rest were just. I mean, it got they got pretty shitty there. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, El Condor is not a bad film. Um, 
The Magnificent Seven, I think, was filmed in Spain, I believe. Or the it Magnificent the Seven one, Rise. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that was filmed in, in Spain, I believe. So that could technically yeah. be one. But, you know, he got into some real shitty ones. You know, even even that, the, the low Lee one, the... Um, um, Stranger in the Gunfight, I'll screw you, that one's fun. I'll take that yeah. one any day. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it it's takes fun. a minute to get going, but once it gets going, take a hard ride's not a bad film, but that mm-hmm. you know, the God Gun God's Gun and Kid Vengeance are horrid. I wonder how many people love the Grand Duel soundtrack more than they love the movie itself. You know what always gets me is that that opening that scene where he's in that um way station or whatever and that Peter O'Brien shoots him and he catches the bullet in his teeth. I don't I don't didn't he doesn't he catch him in his teeth or am I Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean how that's what always ruins the film for me. I'm pretty much over then. This is the only movie I've seen western wise where they drug some guy by a horse and he freaking looks like he's been drugged by a horse. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but do you know also, you know, if you think about it, I mean, even Gemma, you know, is is he was kind of at a crossroads here too, because, you know, he, you know, he was really the first Italian-born star of the Italian westerns. Yeah. You know, because Gemma, of the, the first, the yeah. first two Ringo films made him a a, a superstar in Italy, and and to me yeah. they kind of in, they were, they came out in '65, and the genre was looking for something then. You know, you had your Leone films. But they needed something, something, you know, to kind of stabilize it, you know, to make it grow a little bit. And those Ringo films really, you know, they took off. They were did yeah. great box office. And I think they well, Gemma, really helped, yeah. you know, stabilize the genre what, and get it going. Uh, what Thomas Milan would call a pretty boy. He said some of the pretty boys were good actors, but none of the great actors were pretty boys. Well, you know, he was he was an odd character for sure. Yeah, but I understand what he's saying. All of the right. greatest spaghetti western actors that I know of or Italian actors always had that little flaw to them. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but you could you could say that. Franco Nero was a great actor, and he was obviously a, a, a very nice-looking man. You know, I don't look at men, yeah. I'm just saying, you but know. you got to remember for a while, him and Franco did not get along oh, because he thought Corbucci gave uh, Campaneros away to Thomas Milan, and it was supposed to be his movie. Right, right, correct. Yeah, and, it, and it's something, you know, I've read in interviews where, you know, Nero regrets it, you know, now that Corbucci's dead, but, he, you know, he regretted that. No, I, I don't. This scene is, made up. This is a very telling scene here. If you look at it, if you looked at those yeah. these guns that are laid down here, you know all the other ones have shorter barrels. You know he gives him he picks him out the one with the longest barrel on it. Yeah. You know it's 
for Avencia, you know, he's always he's a snake to a point. He's always covering his ass. You know, you think he's doing something th- sympathetic, but in all reality, he is doing that. But he's also looking, you know, to make sure that this guy's never going to be able to outdraw him. But but Gim after this, you know he, he you know he, I mean you think about it now. He, I mean he did in '65 alone, you know he did yeah. Pistol for Ringo, Blood for a Silver Dollar, The Return of Ringo, and Adios Gringo, and all of them are great films. You know, and eventually you know then then he's '66, he did a film, you know, a couple more films. But this was really to me the peak. I mean. A sky full of, of stars for a roof is, is kind of a hard film, you know, to watch. And then um, he made another film with Valerie in '69 called The Price of Power, which is kind of a, a how would you even describe the film? It's a, um, a historically, you know, skewered film. <laughs> That looks at the Lincoln, you know, and different assassinations, and also, you know, the time of, uh, you know, racism, the right time right after the Civil War, the resurrection of the South, and stuff like that in it. But, and, and it holds a great, great performance by Gemma in it. Yeah. I love it. He all he said it took me twenty years to get that sign here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can tell the difference between the movies like this where Van Cleef gave a shit. Yeah. And the ones that were just there. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing with with Van Cleef was the fact is that you know you you had to. Yeah, he had to be watched. You know, he was all, he was an alcoholic. So as long and he was, they said he could be a nasty drunk. So you had to, you know, control him before he just, you know, and make sure he didn't get any kind of access to alcohol. Yeah. Well, did you ever hear the Escape from New York commentary? I don't believe I ever did. Well, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell talk about how every day before Van Cleef showed up on the set that he had a bodyguard that would come on and look in his trailer. And he and Carpenter and Kurt Russell was like, what the hell is this guy doing? And finally, after five weeks, to ask the guy what the hell he was doing, he says his job was to get there every morning to try to find all of the bottles of booze that uh, Van Cleef had hidden the day before to make sure that he didn't get them. Oh yeah, and I think there was just one, maybe one incident on this film where he got drunk and you know started a ruckus or whatever. But you know, all in all, you know, I think they they kept him under control on this film. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of. I mean, if you know Jeffrey Hunter, you know, had it was you know drunk through a lot of you know he was obviously an alcoholic. He had some issues. You know, had to be controlled on his films. Um, uh, who else was there? Uh, Dana Andrews, um, um, the uh, the dude that was in um, Shane. Yeah, we'll think about that. how much wine was drunk during true. the afternoon true. meals. True, very true. 
the Italian way of filmmaking. Right. Right. Now we're finding out who were the fine men of the town that he was talking about. Right. That's one thing I loved about the the political movies of, well, the Zapata westerns. How the most evil people in them were the most civilized, dignified ones. Yeah, and from this point forward, there'd be a lot of films that started to slowly incorporate you know a lot of this back you know a lot back into it you know or or, you know the townsfolk who are evil and stuff like that you know as the films kind of got a little more you know outlandish you know you'd see a lot of that where they would have you know not just one but they'd have you know numerous people um, yeah. Joe Dakota, I believe, is the film with Richard Harris, and I, I probably got that one wrong. My mm. mind's not working right now, but you know where Joe Dakota is. You know, he's going. I don't think it's Joe Dakota, but I. In, in anyways, he, where he's, you know, he knows that these, you know, the big shots are evil, and he's going around killing them, you know, one by one, and you know, so it start to, you know, each. These films would kind of take the other films and kind of copy off of them. And that's, yeah, you know, I mean, you've like, started uh, seeing a lot like this. Yeah. I mean, the film. Well, go ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm. Yeah. But like you said, uh, well, you, like when you screwed up earlier, Bullet for the President was obviously uh, a ripoff of a Bullet for the General. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, over here, I guess, obviously, A Bullet for the General was released here and was mildly successful here, so I would think that's probably why when it was released here they were trying to use, yeah, you know, even over here they were trying to use, you know, references from other films to try to sell it. Well, remember, they tried to sell it as a Klaus Kinski film based on the fact that for a few dollars more made money. Right. The amazing Klaus Kinski. You love them and for a few dollars more. Now come see him in at his movie. <laughs> I've seen a trailer for Demon with a Blue Hand that was sold like that. Wow. That hunchback man that you loved and for a few dollars more is back in Preacher wow. with a Blue Hand. That's awesome. I love right here is where it really starts to slowly shift. And it shifts so subtly that you don't even notice it at first. You're as naive as the... Isn't that how you think Trollini wanted us as an audience to be as naive as uh, him? Jim and yeah, character? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, God, I, I he got him so. a gun, he got him a bully, he's treating him with respect, he got him a drink. Told him how to fly, holy shit, he's a good guy, what the fuck? <laughs> but also, it's getting you into that, 
you know, it's giving you a little bit of that death rides a horse where you're saying, well, you know, maybe this guy's, you know, he's looking for redemption to a point, you know, the, the Talby character. But, you know, obviously you find that that's not so. But No, he's just looking for reparations. <laughs> yes, he is. And plus he gets into the fact he's an old man and that this really gets into something more that I've really never seen brought up much is that, where the villain, well, it was really done to the peak as Frank in Once Upon a Time in the West, where Frank couldn't ever be a businessman. Right. I'll be sure as hell can be. Right, right. But, you know, it's that, you know, you live by the gun, you die by the gun thing. And you'll see eventually with the saloon, you know, that everything that he banks on and everything he's worked to get is all based on, you know, his forty five caliber. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a film out called um, Black Patch. It's from 58 or 59, and I think I had re- first read about it in um, Roberto Curti's book on Tonino Valerie. And it, um, the film, you can see a lot of stuff in this film that was, you know, was taken from that film, mm-hmm. you know, including a downtrodden, you know, guy who eventually becomes, you know, uh, an expert with a gun and is out to, you know, you know, to make a name for him, but also to get, you know, revenge to a point. Yeah. It stars George I mean, Montgomery. Yeah. It's really never stated in a movie. I mean, how perfect does that to be the Talby, to find someone who's been treated like shit that badly by the town that he could just wind around his finger with that much ease? Right, right. And I love how Jimmy's character reacts to the time when he's supposed to be action. He's not a reactive character. Right. He don't do shit until he's forced to. Yeah, and it's one of them things where he's, you know, it's that first killing. You know? You know, he's never killed a man before. And now he's finally killed a man. And, you know, everything changes. It's like drinking that first, you know, whiskey. You know, everything yeah. changes. And I don't know if that's, I can't really go to where they're standing there. I don't know if that was the same balcony there or whatever that was used in the next film, in Price of Power, when the, the assassins killed, it was President Johnson, I believe. Van Johnson, but I don't McKinley. think it was John. McKinley. Yeah. That's an odd movie. He took uh, the real assassination of President McKinley and uh, ended it's got all book. Kind of, 
it's got all kinds of weird oddities in it. You know, the the the, um, the um, the sheriff, not yeah, the sheriff who's corrupt and one of the most racist of all of them is named Jefferson. Uh, there's yeah. a um, there's a Garfield. That's who um, Van Johnson plays is Garfield, I believe. Yeah. You, you know, and it's got. You know, it's got some other ones in there. Uh, there's a Pinkerton, you know, so it's it tries to use and it really takes it and kind of you know screws things around a little bit and flip flops things, you know, and and reinvents it to a point, you know. Not reinvent. Oh, I love to, that moment. I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love it. You made him rather than not me. Yep. Isn't that a fact? Yep, they're the ones who made him rabid. Now they're gonna kiss his ass because he can you know, he's good with a gun now. Oh, shit. But the transformation is, is pretty amazing. You know, and, and it, it takes a, a, a pretty good actor to be able to you know, transform into what he was, into, you know, this suave, you know, kind of killing machine. This is the beast, of, this is the beast they have made. That's correct, yes. There's his father. Yes. And that's I mean, why he was saying he was calling somebody else a bastard. And he's not a bastard anymore because he has a finally has a father, you know. And he's showing off in front yeah, of yeah. But that father. old man really was his father figure. He just didn't recognize it. Right, and he has two of them. You know, he yeah. has Murph, who's kind of has hasn't played much of a part as a as of yet, and also Talby. Yeah, everybody in this movie plays their cards close to the vest, and I like that. Right. Yeah, it's it's a tight movie. I've seen movie. too many it's, westerns, preferably U.S. ones, that everything is just spelled out to you within the first thirty seconds of seeing the character. Yeah, and it and and you know you can tell that you know Tonino had learned his lessons. You know he knew what he was doing. I mean he was a, a an efficient and intelligent filmmaker. There was yeah. no, there's not a lot wasted here. They're a little bit wasted here, uh, you know, as we go on now, you know, but there's just not a lot wasted in these films. They're well constructed. The narrative's great. You know, it was well written. I think that that, that was Gestaldi, wasn't he, who wrote this? I believe. Yeah. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But you're right. Really, this is uh, the only problem that really is in the movie is that. 
Now we're in the third act stretch. It starts to drag a tiny bit. Yeah, that's a, that's correct, and I think that had a little bit to do when you know when they introduced the um, you know the trying to introduce some of the book elements into it, and that and and I think Tonino has said in an interview in the past that's when the film you know does drag a little bit is because of that. Yeah, the gang and stuff like this. But if you ever, but his his first film, A Taste of Killing. There's, it's it's another beautifully filmed film. I mean, it's and it is very violent. But you know something in that film, there is not a second wasted. I oh, mean, shit. you know, there is there. It is it is, you know, it's it reminds me of a lot of um, the film I Want Him Dead and the fact yeah. that you know these the, the, they're just they were done by people who had learned their craft. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely beautifully put together. And I think that was, I forget who did I Want Him Dead, Palo. Oh, I love that fucking guitar intro to him. Palo and Bank, you said something yeah. about you don't know about Sartana. This guy looks just like Sartana. <laughs> That's uh, Benito Stefanelli, who was, yeah, he he um, was the master of arms and stunt coordinator on a lot of films. And if you look at that film there with him sitting up there in this window when it comes up here, is also kind of a um, a scene from um, A Price of Power when, you know, then the um, uh, the Ray Sanders character is sitting in a window and he's accused of trying to kill or accused of killing the president. Yeah. But that's, you're right, that's, that is an introduction to a point of a professional gun. You know, kind of that, um, you know, like uh, Leone introduced with um, Van Cleef with his, you know, with his various weapons and stuff like that. And Stefanelli was, uh, you know, obviously was a great character actor and also a stunt coordinator. And they have a brilliant, brilliant scene coming up here. Oh, good Lord, yeah. There's reasons why this movie stands out, and what's coming up here is one of the most. Uh, Yeah, and and we had had a discussion a while back, you and I, about, you know, whether or not it was, you know, if that was a scene. I can't think of enough. I mean, I can think of some scenes, you know, where there was, you know, but I can't think of a scene that was set up like it. It's almost like a when it comes to it, we'll see it. But it's almost set up like a medieval joust. But you know, this is the hired killer hired. I think it's his name's Owen White, uh, Stefanelli in this film. And what it is mm-hmm. is it's kind of that, you know, that introduction of a professional into the you know to try to kill that Talby. You know, most towns when they when the, you know they would when the going got bad they were to introduce that you know try to get a hired killer to come in and and that's what it was also in the taste of killing yeah. you know they the, the townsfolk even though they weren't rotten like these people <laughs> oh yeah there, there's one of the greatest lines ever in spaghetti western history i drove 500 miles i rode 500 miles to get here i'm not going to let a barber steal my work from me <laughs> Yeah, for $10,000, you're right. Speaking of interesting faces, look at the scar they gave him. I don't know if that was real or not. 
Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you know, he was a master of arms, so it might be. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's all about the money. Another a another uh, element that was used in the Taste of Killing, where Craig yeah. Hill plays a um, basically an ambulance chaser in the film. I mean, the weapon's going to kill me hasn't been invented yet. Isn't that a great line? You're right. But I do look how smoothly he changes from the guns, the gunsmith, the gunfighter, into the businessman. Right. He's comfy in both clothes. Yeah, yeah, and he realizes that. Like I said, he knows he's got to stay within the law, and he also realizes that eventually, you know, somebody's going to come along. It's just like the the, the Gregory Peck film, The Gunfighter. Eventually, somebody's going to come along, and you know, you might be the baddest ass, but eventually, somebody's going to get you. You know, I yeah. think that's kind that of what he realized. That's one of my favorite speeches ever, The Gunfighter. That's freaking unbelievable, ain't it? Yeah, you know why I'm laughing? Because I know from now on, you won't have a good meal. You won't be able to sleep peacefully at night. You'll never get married. You'll never smile. You'll be paranoid about you. Because he'll be waiting for the piss ant like you to take you out, just like you took me out. Right, isn't that isn't that a fact? And that's something that was echoed through these films for years and years. You know, obviously all the way up to uh, My Name Is Nobody, which was. I love that little touch of having the cross right there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sort of like a religious ritual, him taking the gun out. Yeah, it is. It is. And it harkens back to an earlier time, you know. The muzzle loader. And Talby's always up for a challenge. that he was a better shot and he's done this before. Yeah. He's the master of killing. And plus, that's the real reason why he ends up not being a perfect businessman and a perfect father figure is that he sees everything as a challenge. Right. Oh, I love this right here. And I love how he keeps making sure that we see that he's got the bullet in his mouth. You know, and obviously, you know, it's maybe a little bit, you know, when we had talked about um, uh, the Grand Duel when he has catches that bullet in his mouth. Could be a little bit of a reference to that. It just kind of popped into my mind mm-hmm. there. Except that the Grand Duel score is better than the movie itself. Yeah, 
it's a little bit better on the who released that arrow. I have the arrow release, and it's a little bit better uh, on Blue that. Blue Underground. I think Arrow did too. I think I have yeah, Arrow. I've got the five dollar release that's got Frog uh, singing and uh, the Grand Duel <laughs> on it. If you're yeah. if you're a folk, uh, spaghetti western fan, you're going to get the same beautiful transfer that's on the Arrow for Kiyoma, just none of the extras. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, that's a fact, and that is a beautiful scene, honestly. And look where he placed the bullet. Right in his head. Yep, right, yeah, that's a sign of a, a master there. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. He's won. Everything is his. Yep. I'll be back. Yeah, what do you want? Yeah, 20-piece chicken McNugget meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take and a we'll, Diet Coke. And we need spoons and forks. Yeah. 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 Good. Here, here comes another scene that you don't see often. Hi. Another film you don't see, yeah. a thing you don't see in um, Spaghetti Westerns is the actual, this is actually, this saloon was actually torched. You don't see that very often in, a, in an Italian Western. The only thing yeah. similar that I can think about it was, was when the Bowles Cars uh, studios were born uh, burned, I think in 74, 73, somewhere along that range. I think I got the date right. I could be wrong. And right here we're seeing Talby's biggest weaknesses is that he easily gets bored. Yeah, he wants everything and he wants, you know, he's trying to take total control over everything now. I forget what movie it was, but they have a line when they grab a guy and said, can't you enjoy winning? <laughs> and, that, and that has a lot to do with these films. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, how many of these Italian westerns, westerns have you seen where, you know, they're not happy with, you know, we're going to split this a million dollars five ways, or we're going to split this money that way, you know. They, um, they've they decided that they're going to, you know, I want it all. And there's a lot of them that, that go about that route. I want him dead, go with God, gringo, you know, yeah. obviously – once upon um, the good, the bad, the ugly between um, Tuco and Blondie, and well, they end as friends at the end of that. What's that? You know where he leaves him with the gold and then he shoots him off there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does give him. Yeah. Yeah, he does leave gold at the end. I would, I would say they're friends, but you know, it's partnership and. Well, that's just how they are, you know. Yeah. True. And like I said, this is the scene. You, they actually burnt the saloon down, which normally doesn't, yeah. you know how spaghetti westerns are. 
Yeah, we got to keep the villain two more westerns this week. But yeah, and I like I like I said, I know they burnt down. I think it was the Valscar Studios yeah. in Spain. I think it's I, I may but I may I have my date. I just think it's ironic that the worst thing that Talby can do is actually win because he gets bored too easy. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. That's pretty much why Frank couldn't be a businessman either. Yeah. Well, it's it's, their, it's the killings in their blood, you know. You're not going to – and they're thugs, and they're always going to be thugs. Yeah. Like the look on Charles Bronson's face when Claudia Cardinelli tells him to stay. Right. What was it Leone said at Mass Relief? Something to do with death? Right. All he knows how to do is to kill. Yeah. Yeah, that's also with Talby also. Yeah, and it's getting to the point where you're starting to realize that Talby is really only going to have one real challenge left to himself. Right. But he's also taken, you know done something to try to prevent that from ever happening. Yeah. You know, obviously by giving him a barrel with, you know, a long barrel on a gun. Because the day's going to come where he's going to have to have a shootout with him. And he realizes that. You know, Talby's always out to, you know, you can see him in this. You know, it's kind of, he's, he has no friends. You know, he has, a, a like, Hemi's a mentor for you know, to him for a while, but but there's he also realizes that someday he's gonna po- have to oppose him. I love this. Anybody still got that prop <laughs> that's hanging on the outside store at Giant Gun? I want it. <laughs> oh my God! Would you, would you love that? I mean, you yeah. know, I don't. I can't tell you if this was if it was ever. It would. I would find it hard to believe that they wouldn't reuse that in another film, but I could be wrong. I mean, I wonder if it's on the Sincita back lot, you know, or I doubt it. I don't it. know. I doubt but it. That's one thing Firewood. that made me cry and be cry is just seeing that one time, that 1967 special on Spaghetti Western that's on the yeah. Django Kill where they went through Sincita and they showed all the guns they had. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, here are the guns that uh, Lee Van Cleef used them for a few dollars more. Yeah, and it, you, where you know, it makes you wonder where all that stuff ends up. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, I've asked a few people that I've interviewed. You know, and and I know a lot of some of the stuff is kept, like some of the scores and stuff, or not scores, some of the the um, scripts and stuff like that were kept. But there's probably not a lot of it still around. I would think. You know, it's kind of what we talk about with the Shaw brothers. You know, where did all that stuff end up? Yeah. Well, I know a lot of the guns just vanished, wink, wink. Yeah, right. Only guns I know that are still, that are definitely private collections, but we don't know who the collectors is, is uh, the Leone guns. Because I know someone owns those. Yeah, he kept a lot of that stuff himself. I I don't know if his wife's still alive, you know, or kids or whatever. his daughter. yeah. Yeah. No, I know he kept a lot of that stuff. That, that would be a treasure trove. When you were showing me that picture the other day, or that video the other day of what was that in uh, Samuel Fuller's? Yeah. In his little writing oh, den or whatever. 
that would be the same type of thing. You're like, man, wouldn't you love to dig through that? <laughs> Imagine the stuff in there. And we're bringing back a character we haven't seen since the first. Right. You notice he's even starting to walk like uh, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. It seems like even, that yeah. like, man, why didn't this guy go higher than he did? Because he's right. just amazing in this freaking movie. Oh, he was huge over there. Yeah, man, he was. He had, a, you know, he was a superstar in Adelaide. Oh yeah, I know. But it, the, I think the thing with him was this kind of takes him out of that clean-cut kind of thing, but he, he could never rise above, you know, some of the, you know, the Ringo films. He, he just could never rise above them. Everybody associated him with that clean-cut, you know, good-looking yeah, well, guy. Yeah, remember you Ringo know. was like uh, number two, I think. Yeah, it was huge, yeah. They were huge films, well, and, I mean, and they bond a lot of films. Yeah, Django... You know, is over three, four, five hundred. Uh, Ringo is one hundred fifty to two hundred. <laughs> Sartana is around thirty or forty. Then Johnny, U- then Johnny Yuma is around fifteen to twenty, I think. No, he's telling you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There's another never trust anybody, so he's basically, you know, the law of the West. He's telling the truth, you know. That's something they didn't even get into an unforgiveness. That the older you get, the more your muscles, you know. And you know what's odd, too, is the fact that he's 45. You know, Murph says he's about 45, and it's also that's what he relies on is his 45 caliber guns. I mean, and you know, it's it's right. It's, you know, know, kind of what makes this a little interesting, too, is the fact is, you know, usually, you know, you didn't get this buildup of how, you know, the uh, the town boss, you can look at it that way, too, how the town boss is actually, you know, uh, um, ascending to power within a town. Usually, you know, a guy will ride into town, you know, and he'll the, the already, they'll already be set there. But this is kind of also building, you know, how that town boss, you know, is is ascending to the power within the town, which makes it kind of interesting on that end. Yeah. Yeah, Murph's telling him everything. 
I wonder if that's kind of like a phallic type of thing when you think about it. You know, with him telling him his gun's longer than his gun. Yeah. Is, you know, it's. But that's true. Mm-hmm. Most it really is true. good gunslingers had short barrel guns. Right. Pull them out of the longer your barrel, the longer it takes you to draw it. Yeah, makes total sense. And that was one of the best things I loved about Unforgiven, where he talked about, where Gene Hackman talked about a guy drew on him, just pow, 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 pow shot six times mm-hmm. in a quick succession. None of the dang bullets hit. And he just slowly <laughs> took his gun out, aimed, pow, one shot. Guy was dead. Right. Right. That's one thing these movies, I mean, Watch the watch the old olders. You see Roy Rogers and they pull out guns, just bam, 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 bam. Yeah, and a lot of this is also based on you know the the, the sword and sandal type of myth, mythical type of heroes. You know they they brought a lot of that here also. How weird is that? The backdrop and the stained glass windows are like something from a '60s psychedelic thing. When they're supposed to be in the Old West. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> Paris or something. Maybe he's kind of got a Paris type of look. Yeah, but still, that's, a, that's some Peter Mack shit going on there. It does. You're right. That's, that's that's true. And the way the eyes are, that's late 60s. Yeah. <laughs> and the suckers come rolling in. Right. But I do like the fact they do bring up that this really is Toby's last shot to make anything out of themselves. That's true, yeah. Yeah. And he's at the top the kind of the of game, right? You usually don't hear about that. Usually in Westerns, it's like that. It's usually some young, dumb guys like, if we make this one big score, we can quit. Right, you're right. But like I said, like all these, you know, the you know, the greed eventually takes over. Yeah. You know, it always does. I think the best line about that is from a few dollars more. He said, when Lee Van Cleef looks at, uh, Eastwood said, Wow, what are you going to do with all that bounty? What are you going to do after you get all that bounty? Eastwood just says, nothing. <laughs> he said, I'd do the same damn thing if I was in that situation myself. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing about Leone's characters. You could just see them taking that money and just retiring. 
Right. Well, you know, it's like all of them. It's, you know, it's, you know, I've got some money for now, you know, but eventually I'm going to need more money. You know what I'm saying? More money. And it just, you yeah. know. Well, that's that was the whole focus and motivating thing on uh, for a few dollars more. Because remember, at the end, he don't even mention the killers by their names. Right. Yeah. $5, $50, $25, yeah, $15. Yeah. <laughs> As he loads them in. It's all about the dollars. Only Leone could add soul to it. And this one, he's just sowing the bitter, disappointing downside to it. Yeah. And, and he's got a desperate you know, old man who's trying to uh, grab his last chance to make something of his life. And you got a young, dumb idiot who's blind with his hero worship. And it's and it's a lot. There's a lot of, like we said earlier, there is a lot of Leone in this film. I mean, he definitely learned from the master, and he took a lot of it. Yeah. And he's applied a lot of it. I mean, and, and, and you know the thing about it is, it's this is a western. I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's yeah, it's an Italian western, but it's also it's never trying to go outside of the genre of. You know, it's trying to stay within, you know, the boundaries of a Western. It's not trying to, you know, the straddle or go outside of the line, which is to be commended, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's filming a, he's filming a Western. You know, he's not adding anything, you know, politically or, you know, anything like that to it. I mean, he would get political in his next film, but and there is some... Yeah. A little bit of politicalness in this film, but he, he, it's contained within, you know, the, a Western. And that's the one thing, and that's why really why we love Spaghetti Westerns is that they loved our Westerns more than we did, but they added their own sensibilities to it. Yeah, they did. They did. They wanted They wanted to, um, to, um, they loved the films, at least initially the directors did, you know, and then I think after a while, and they were, and to a point they were looked down on, you know, this was popular Italian cinema, and to a point they were looked down on, but the but the, the uh, fans sure responded to them over there, and you know, throughout the whole world, honestly. Yeah, and right there was the rift between them, I love that. Yeah, yep. When did you get so sentimental? He said, I didn't. I just to give a damn. Of course, everybody's trying to sway and, you know, buy and. Yeah, they realize that whoever has him has the power, and he doesn't yeah, realize tr- that yet. Yeah, they're trying to get to drive more of a state, you know, drive more in between Talby and uh, Scott. Well, they realize Talby by himself is dangerous, but with him, he's unstoppable. True. 
Damn it. P.O.P. again. <laughs> I'll never give up my principles. I'll give you some. Bang. Okay, he's dead. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's like the, uh, like the Samson and Delia. Delilah, you know. Yeah. We try to take, you know. A hard dick has no morals. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, truer things probably never been stated. But it's interesting how all these are, you know, how they're kind of playing. You know, now they're starting to play um, sides. They're trying, you know, after they treated this guy like a piece of shit, now they expect him to. Well, not Murph for the sheriff. No, Murph, true, yeah, true. But the sheriff, yeah, he kind of stayed out of the way. And the Murph is kind of the old, you know, he's the old school. You know, the sheriff's almost yeah. kind of like Borbucci's kind of um, Gideon character where he's just kind of uh, hapless and stupid to a point. Well, Murph's the guy who killed, but he's tired of killing. Yeah, true. And when he's aged, too, he knows he can't, you know, compete with the Talbys and Scott anymore. Yeah. You know, he's the Old West. He's, you know, the Doc Holidays and stuff like that. You know, he's the old school. You know, but he's aged. Well, we and he are realizes, film, uh, historians. Well, we're officially historians now. We're that old. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah, we're not noted yet because people don't know our names. But when we get no, well, they know your name because you got a book, two books out there selling decent. So you're noted, film historian. I I don't know about that. You know how that works. You know, it's just like the, um, it's just like uh, Talby here. There's always somebody trying to knock you off anything you're trying to accomplish or anything you do accomplish. So there's <laughs> yeah. always a, uh, there's always a, a Scott to come along and knock Talby down. So. I hope there is. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I hope that there's people that does more work to add on to what we do. Always. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, you, you know, to, you know, to me, it's always one of them things where, you know, all I want to do. You know, is is to give my two cents. Uh, you know, I don't I try to get on anybody's nerves. I don't try, you know, nothing like that. It's just one of them things where, but a lot of people. <laughs> Sorry, but I did it. I killed him. I killed him. I killed him. There you go. Bam! Like the gunfighter. Yep. Like the in the gunfighter. He ain't dead. the bastard dead or not.
now he knows Talby knows now that he's you know it's kind of outside of the law now what he's doing you know he was within the law the whole time but now he realizes he's out done inside the law. Right there hints that him and his daughter does not have a wholesome relationship. Right. Almost like he's prostituting her out or something. There still has to be some missing fucking footage here. Just because of him and the relationship with the prostitute. They seem like there's something going on there that the movie hasn't really said anything about, period. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if there was anything else cut out or not. Oh, I, mean, I mean, you know, I don't know if there was anything. I think there was something cut out between them two. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But the problem is, is by then, uh, even as early as 66, uh, Leone's operatic ways were seen by old hat by the new guys. But everybody wanted that money, too. You know, that's that was yeah. the big thing. You know, but nobody was going to have like, a budget. They were like, oh, Leone, you won't go political. What's wrong with you? You're old, old. You're out of date. And he didn't like a he didn't like political westerns, and he you know the Zapata westerns. Yeah, and he, didn't he like, was a political man. Yeah, and he did not like um, the comedic westerns. Even though his west not his westerns were highly comedic themselves, but he didn't like goofy. Yeah, the. the yeah, the the the, um, the slapstick, the like the bubble, like the tra- <laughs> like the Trinity films. Yeah, you know yeah, he did like bubble. you're right. He did have comedic stuff in it, like um, the um, well, it ain't his film, but it's you know my name is nobody. It was you know had some uh, you know comedic or scenes in it. But they weren't. By, uh, uh, but, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cheyenne's character in Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. You mean millions? Right. More than millions? Yeah. Tens of millions. <laughs> right. That's the only... The problem is, is that when you try to out-son of a bitch somebody, 90% of the times you may end up out-son of a bitch in yourself. Right. But yeah, the, you know, this was 
you know, this was kind of, uh, you know, he became, you know, how he became such a, a marksman. You know, that's another thing. These films that you know we we would talk about in the in the, the um, um, Shaw Brothers films is how a lot of them could just all of a sudden become, you know, a master with a pistol or you know, a master with weapons within just a short you yeah. know period. Luis with death rides a horse. They they give it a reasonable explanation. Oh well, he has a nice training scene though. Remember the John Philip Law. Well, I was just practice. He's like, for 15 years you have been training for this. You know, 15 years? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you ain't that good at the 15 years, then they'll... <laughs> yeah, and a lot of them would do that. I know that a lot of the, the Peter Lee Lawrence films would have that, you know, that similar type of thing in it where they would, you know, he would all of a sudden become a master, you know, within five minutes. Yeah. You just pick a gun up, a requisite, uh, pray to kill. I mean, really, it doesn't way. take that long, like in uh, 36 Chambers. Mm-hmm. It just says, you have taken three years. Whoa. Right. Me, I wonder if this is him making himself a sacrificial lamb on purpose. Yeah, it's... Well, you know, the town have not has not been good to either either one of the two. Yep. I want, like I said, I won't be setting himself up as a sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. And look where Talby's standing. Right. It's a great shot, ain't it? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that shot, the shot with him seven point two guns. Yeah. Not the crotch shot. (laughs) (laughs) Right here is when he... why did they wait so long in the film to turn Lee Van Cleef's character into full son of a bitch? I mean, look, he goes into the red velvet. Right. You know. Yeah, now now it's on. And I love how they tagged this in the older westerns. Yeah, through with the the gun. What I loved is, you know, they probably they filmed this two ways. One shot with him holding an Italian letter, and one shot with him holding an English letter. Yeah, it's kind of like at the beginning when they, 
depending on what markets, either, you know, uh, Lee Van Cleef's face would pop up first or, you know, the different credits for the beginning also. Yeah, I mean, or, it's or only like a or two frame difference, but I love it. Yeah. And what that is, is that's supposed to be Doc Holliday's gun. Correct, yes, yeah. A throwback to the old West. Well, look at it. Shorter barrel, the hammer is easier to fan back. And, and the Italian Westerns also went through that historical phase where, you know, they would name drop. You know, there's Billy the Kid, there's uh, there's Buffalo Bill in a, in, a game, in a film, Calamity Jane, you know, um, uh, Jesse James. Well, what do they call the political westerns? <laughs> <laughs> the Pata westerns. Right, true. Good point, yes. Really, only one, two of them took place in fucking Mexico. Pardon the fuck, but in Mexico. There's <laughs> more that took place in Mexico than uh, uh, yeah, there's Violet more. Mexico and Ducky Sucker. Yeah, there's more. There's uh, a bullet for the general. A bullet for the general, a man in a cold. Um, a bullet for Sandoval. Bullet for yes, that's that's correct. Yes, yeah, there's quite a few. They were giving out bullets um, to everybody in the damn spaghetti westerns, weren't they? They had a bullet for the general. <laughs> they had the bullet for the well, president. That, they well, had a bullet that for name, Sandoval. You know how that is. Once that name got, you know, somewhere it was. They they said, oh, uh oh, we better. Uh, yeah. No, Compañeros was was that in Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, the mercenary, mercenary was. Yeah, my name is Picos was, but I think that was in America. A dead men ride might have been. I think that might have that may have been on the border. Five man army. Um, Requisent. Uh, the band at Malpezo was Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a few of them. Dig your grave and say your uh, say your prayers. Yeah. And what's funny is that they were like, "Oh, those movies are racist to Mexicans." I'm like, "None of us Mexicans gave a shit." <laughs> I mean, hell, you'd see us walking around doing that. We don't need no stinking batches. <laughs> you know. Right. Well, you know, right. usually they well, were they were sympathetic but, towards, which you know was was the way of, you know the Italians' way of, you know, being sympathetic towards yeah. only Italian, you, you know, towards the downtrodden, which obviously yeah. a lot of uh, uh, you know Italians at that time and their history yeah. felt. So. But I mean, it's like in all the westerns, all you Mexicans do is get drunk and fuck the white women. <laughs> hey, we cool with that. I mean, if you want to live up with that, just bring the white women over and some booze. <laughs> but I love instead of the epic music you hear at the end of most spaghetti's, even this one is a little downbeat. Yeah, it is. You know, there's no big do 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 do. Right, and beautiful wide big, you know, shots. I mean, look at that shot. And again, the town's never. I mean, it's you know, for a prospering town. The, t- the town really doesn't have a lot of activity, even on a good day. You know they're forgetting one lesson. Never get between a guy. <laughs> See, he's now he's 
Now he's recounting his um, lessons back as he killed. Yeah, but they forgot one, which that guy just screwed up on. Always don't have any bullets are in your gun. Yeah, true. If you can't count the six, then you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) What was the old line? I I forget who said it. It was... um, this is a western. We don't, you know, it's an endless supply of bullets. Our gun yeah. never runs out. Yeah. I think that's in the, or, uh, the terrible. Um, uh, not, yeah. Uh, not or terrible, from Jango terrible. Kane, Paraphrase. I count six bullets, motherfucker. I count two guns, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called the. It ain't the terrible sheriff. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. But it was an early. Comedic one where they used that line, and I thought it was pretty funny. Or at the end of Wrestler's Rhapsody, you screwed the whore. Hey, <laughs> it's the hey. The Italian said we don't have we can do that now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I can't wait to get to town then. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of reminds me of. Gimma's film Audio's Gringo and um, he meets a guy up and he sells him some cattle and that's where he's heading. Get him some women. I mean, look at his face. He knows he's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big lesson once you start killing. Right. Yep, that's a fact, isn't it? Once you start killing, you can't stop. Now there's even a um, Anthony Stefan film called Why Go On Killing. Mm-hmm. Well, how many westerns have you seen where the killer tries to stop killing, but he's forced to pick up his guns again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, hands of the gunfighter. Yeah, I yeah. aim. Um, uh, you name it, lots of them. He learned his West lesson well, didn't he? shot.
a downbeat ending. <laughs> they don't even but give me no joy in seeing Talby get killed. But it, but at least, you know, here he's back to where he was. You know, he takes the man, you know, at least one of the men who cared for him, takes him by the hand and leads him, which is a, it's a pretty nice way to end it. Yeah. Like, like I said, even though it is a little bit slow towards the end, I don't know why this isn't up in the higher tiers than it does. It deserves to be up in the... Yeah, well, for sure. The top tier, about maybe the top of the middle tier. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely in, in top 20 any way you would slice it or die. At least in the yeah. top 10 to 15, I would think. You know, for sure, yeah. any way you slice it or dice it there, because it's definitely a classic of the genre. But like you said, it, it just has that little bit of slowness at the end, you know, through the second part of the film, which slows it down just a little bit. After watching so many of these, you get to enjoy more of the ones that actually try to not reinvent the wheel, but try to do something yeah, different true. with it. Yeah, and, and it was a Western. Like I said, he, you know, he stayed within the parameters of a Western, and, and you're right, it is, it's a Western. I mean, it, there's a lot of homage there to, you know, the Hollywood Westerns and stuff like that, but it's definitely a Western. Well, they tell go you. Outside. Like I say, like it's been said, the Italians grew up and fell in love with our western, so they did their versions of what they think a Hollywood western was. But they had to do yeah. own political and sensibility, other sensibilities. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, once Django, you know, was released, I think all bets were off then. You know, so yeah, I think too, up until that time they, they had that over here. Damn it. Yeah, up up till then they had tried to. You know, stay within the parameters, and, and you know, and they were selling them as B westerns. Obviously, that's why they used, you know, an Americanized names and stuff for a lot of the films. But you know, once Django took off, then you, you know, it, it kind of changed the parameters a lot of of, of westerns. Yeah. Over there, and or for, world westerns, for that matter. Yeah, and before you say anything like but 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 Leone but Leone. Go look at the trailers for the Leone films when they were first released. Those were B-movie trailers, people. Yeah, they were. And even the good, the bad, and the ugly was cut by 30 or 40 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they could put in more showings per day. Yeah. Yeah, The whole prison scene where Angel Eyes shows up back in the movie... Yeah, nobody ever understood what the fuck was going on there. It's just like, where did he come from? You know, it's just, well, there was so much. No, it was missing from the original American shortcut. That's what I'm saying, That whole yeah. scene. It was yeah, like, they get captured, and the next thing we know, uh, Tuco's on the train, and Angel True. Eyes is with, well, uh, the Blondie's with Angel Eyes. Right. They were like. What the fuck? How the fuck did get there? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They I, cut out yeah. that whole forty-minute sequence. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of yeah. And then they but, cut out. But you know, even releasing them on VHS back in the day, they even cut them back then. You know, they were. It was. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were massively large films to begin with. You know, I mean, a three-hour movie or. A Three, well, you know, of a western. 
is like no, wow. No, uh, let's see. Uh, fistful of dollars is just ninety-five minutes. No, I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, fistful of dollars is ninety-five minutes. Uh, for a few dollars more is like one hour and forty-five, forty. And then three hours and ten minutes for the uncut, good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was unheard of, uh, you know, back in them days, especially for a Western. I don't know how long the Alamo was, John Wayne's film. That might have been, you know, pretty healthy, too, but I don't think there was a lot of three-hour ones. Yeah, and I don't, um, of course, the original um, One-Eyed Jacks was like, <laughs> you know, it was probably what twenty four hours. The legendary long? first cut, I think, is around four hours and forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was long. But so that like, cut's never popped up. No, nah, it never will. Yeah, but no, you can't say it never will. But it probably ain't looking good. Yeah. But you never know. Well, we got one. In- well, he's got one and two out of the way with three on the way for this year. So those of you who are a fan of Mike's first two Spaghetti Western books, you got some more good reading coming your way. Yeah, that's a fact. They're coming slowly, but they're coming. And he has an article coming out for uh, the Wings Shop Holiday Edition. No, no, I don't. No. Oh, what is the one you got for Monster? No, it. No, I'm. I've only. I've, the one that was recently released was 12, right? Wings? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they, 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 oh, yeah he's got an article. Yeah, it. and they told me they didn't really want to do a spaghetti for the holiday issue, so, I, you know. It's been <laughs> so long. Spaghetti and holidays, you sons of bitches, we like a spaghetti. It's been, so, it's, it's been so long since I've written anything non-spaghetti <laughs> that I was like, I sat there for a while like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa you know, I, between me, between this show and your books, you've been up to your neck in noodles. Yeah, fact. Yeah. Ramen noodles and spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. You're right. That's a good way to put it. You're right. That's a right. That's a right. Uh, yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed this and. Yeah, if you like this, his other two movies are good. And My Name is Nobody, well, that one's pretty much well-loved. Yeah, yeah. It's a Terrence Film Hill film that Terrence Hill film haters like. (laughs) Yeah, true. That's a good way to put it, yeah. You you're like, I don't like Terrence Hill. His films are goofy. But my God, I love My Name is Nobody. And I do like the Trinity films, but beyond that, uh, no. I like Man of the East, just because it has the best spaghetti western ever. And we'll close out the show with that. And that's it has the bad guys riding off into the sunset. We're like, yeah, we're going to ride away from civilization, and the train's coming right at them. And then the next thing you know, they reach to the sea in California, and then they hear the train behind them, and they go, well, son of a bitch, I guess we're going to go home. <laughs> That's a fact. And with that, good night. We'll see you next month, Mike. And thank All you. All right, thanks for listening. having me. Good night. Good night, everybody.
That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.